was back in January this year that Ben Gray, who's a member of the church here, started a weekly football group for asylum seekers in our city. And Ben and his friend were really motivated to meet some of the needs that asylum seekers have, like having something to do with their time, having some fun, and that kind of thing. I think there's some photos going to come up. But also they saw their need for community and to meet Jesus. The hope was that football wouldn't just be um, a vehicle, but that... um, Sorry, it might be the vehicle rather than the destination. And that's been slowly happening. What started with a few has grown to about 50 guys regularly involved, with some traveling up to two hours to turn out and play. And the guys who turn up don't rush to open up about why they're alone living in a hotel in Nottingham. They're from different nations and cultures and from different different footballing pedigrees. And yet the bonds of friendship and a sense of belonging has developed between them. Things have happened off the pitch too, like when they went to a trip to Alton Towers together. I think that's the ride oblivion, isn't it? (laughs) And then they went on a walk in the Peak District. They went out for a meal together after finishing runners-up in a football tournament. Even one of the security guards at the hotel was so impressed by this that he decided to start volunteering and helping carrying the bags and turning out on the Monday night as well. And so what was 50 isolated, unconnected guys has become a community and a place to belong. Just last night, this group came here to Trent for the first time after they'd had their latest football tournament and had a meal together. And I found found it incredibly moving to meet some of them and to see how this moment of coming together had been such an important part of them finding community, finding people to be friends with. So amazing job, Ben and the others who are helping out. Let's give it amazing. Wow. That's incredible. 50 guys. Amazing. But I also wanted to share this story because I think it's a a great example in looking at our next hallmark in the current series we're in, that of being relational. And each hallmark we're looking at in this series is like a cherished family value. We want it to be evident um, in whatever we're doing and especially in our ordinary everyday lives through the week, which is why I love what Ben has done so much. But why is being relational so important to us as a church? We're going to explore that. Like other things in the series, being relational hasn't just been plucked out of thin air, it's really been inspired by Jesus himself. Throughout the series, we've unashamedly plagiarized Jesus, and that's because really our hallmarks are an expression of our desire to follow him, to become like him, and to do the things that he did. And I don't think he minds us copying him either. In the Bible, Paul, one of the early church leaders, writes the words on the screen behind me, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And the context Paul is writing into there is one where there's relational problems. You know, there's division, there's strife, there's envy, rivalry, there's stirring up of trouble. And Paul's answer to them is imitate Jesus. Be like Jesus. I wonder what would it look like for for you and for me to have the mindset of Jesus in all of our relationships? As we think about that this morning, let's first consider the ways that Jesus himself demonstrated being relational. And the first one is that Jesus completely embodies being relational in his very nature. And this one is true before Jesus came to live among us that first Christmas. Because from all eternity, Jesus, the Son of God, existed in perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't talk about often perhaps this this doctrine of of the Trinity, maybe because it's a bit of a mystery, but the scriptures reveal again and again that the God we worship 
is in very essence an eternal relationship, an everlasting fellowship. These three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwelling together in unity. And the Trinity, I think, give well-known verses like God is love another layer of meaning. You know, we perhaps often talk about God is love in the way we experience God, and that is wonderful and that is true. But long before you or I were created or anything else existed, this same love of God was being perfectly shared between the three persons of the Trinity. In his life and ministry here, Jesus sometimes kind of pulled the veil back on this dynamic, saying things like this, I and the Father are one. Or all that belongs to the Father is mine, Jesus said. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me and he'll make known to you. Or Father, you love me before the creation of the world. But why is that important for us now? Well, firstly, everything Jesus did and said about being relational in his earthly life, it is based on something wonderfully and profoundly good. The foundation and the source of it all is the security that Jesus enjoyed in his own relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit from all eternity. And in addition to that, we're all made in God's image and likeness, the Bible says, with that capacity and that need for relationship. Truly, it is not good for us to live alone. Which explains, I think, why we notice when it kind of goes wrong. And one sign of this, perhaps, in our, in our culture is, is what some have called the loneliness epidemic in the UK at the moment. And does anyone remember about five years ago when the government appointed um, the first minister for loneliness? Anyone remember that? It was in the news, wasn't it? And, and the issue very much remains, though, because as the group campaigned to, lo- to end loneliness reported in 2022, just last year, half of all adults in the UK reported feeling lonely sometimes. And 7%, which is nearly 4 million people, said it was often or always. I realize a number of you today might be feeling that even now. And I believe God loves to put the lonely in families. And we are part of the answer as we express being relational. I was um, speaking to, to Brian in the break just today, and he's now in his 70s. And he said a few years ago he was in a place of real brokenness and loneliness. And then the Rodriguez's who come here, they lived next door to Brian and they invited him to Alpha. And that was the beginning of his journey. They reached across a sort of divide in age with Brian in his 70s, then much younger. But Brian said that moment literally saved his life. He got to know supportive people here, like one person who phoned Brian every single week during COVID as a way of keeping connection with him through that season. And Brian now has a faith of his own, and he has loads of friends here who are like his family, and he says it means everything to him. You know, we've been designed, hardwired for relationships. It's always going to be one of the most important things in our lives because we're made in God's image, the one who embodies this perfectly. But the second way Jesus demonstrated being relational was through how he modeled it with the people he lived among during his earthly ministry. Now, the four Gospels describing Jesus' life, they're full of stories um, talking about how how he relates to people, whether it's meeting individuals or preaching to crowds or speaking to those in positions of power. But the relationships we see Jesus invest in most deeply and consistently is with his 12 disciples. Jesus basically planted his own small group, and we can read about how it happened in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. 
Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, and he goes on to call them personally by name. So that firstly, did you notice that they might be with him? They might be with him. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement of Churches, reflected on what this kind of journey of the disciples must have been like by simply asking, ever been camping? (laughs) If you have, you know what it was like for Jesus and the disciples for those three years. You know, I remember a few years ago, me and my wife Lizzie went on one of the church camps that many of you perhaps have been on, and I remember um, one evening, a moment quite vividly, where our little Samuel, our son, was 10 weeks old, and um, uh, everyone was crowded into this marquee, probably because it was raining again, and uh, Samuel was wrapped up like a little burrito asleep, and he was being passed around, all these different people holding him, as me and Lizzie were able to just chat to people. And there was this wonderful sense of community. People were processing their lives, where they're at in their journeys, um, what happened to them that day, and it was relational, and it was family. Now, to apply this practically, I'm not suggesting we should all move into some kind of giant communal campsite, although that would be kind of fun, but a complete logistical nightmare. But it is striking to think, isn't it, that Jesus could have relied on his preaching to large crowds or speaking to people of influence, but his primary strategy was to invest in one small group, that they might be with him. And I think it's fair to say that Jesus' strategy was pretty successful. That small group went to turn the world upside down. And one of the reasons I think it did is because they knew Jesus. They knew him relationally. The 12 had intimate access to Jesus. They ate with him. They lived with him. They traveled with him. They shared their hopes and dreams with him. They confessed their failures and their struggles to him. They mourned with him. They rejoiced with him. And they were able to process with Jesus behind the scenes after a miracle had happened. Like when they asked Jesus why they couldn't heal a boy who was struggling with spiritual oppression, but Jesus could. They were also given the inside track on Jesus' teaching. Like when Jesus um, gave a a, a parable to a crowd who were left wondering, and the disciples were then able to ask him afterwards and, and hear about what the meaning of the parable was. They saw Jesus in the high moments, but also in his lows. Jesus was vulnerable with them. He shared his burdens and sorrows with them. And through all this, Jesus loved and treasured this group of 12. He loved them completely, pouring his life into them before laying his life down for them. And I think Jesus' model and example of investing in in a small group of disciples is one of the reasons that we place such an emphasis on, on being in a small group here. You know, we talk about this week in, week out, don't we? And and our small groups here are just around that same kind of number of Jesus, 12 people or so gathering together. It seems the best place to foster being relational with one another. It's where we can know others and be known. It's where we can be vulnerable with each other, sharing our highs, sharing our lows. It's where we can have a sense of doing life together, of belonging to one another and of being family. And and me and my wife, Lizzie, we lead a small group, and and in preparing this talk, I put a message out onto the WhatsApp, just asking people to share what they liked about it, and and thankfully, some people did respond. (laughs) And it wasn't just about our legendary uh, jacket potato nights, (laughs) but Heather said, it's the chance to be completely honest and to get prayer and support for things we're struggling with. Will said, it's the place I can learn more about my faith through a nurturing family. Vanessa said, 
However tired I may feel and busy I am, I always come away feeling better and with a sense of peace. It just brought a tear to my eye thinking about it. One other guy called James has come to our group through Alpha, and he's still not really sure what he believes about God. But the thing he's seen is us being relational. He realized that's kind of provoked a jealousy in him for that. Recently, he was struck by a prayer and a share time, and he found himself really considering the love and care he saw in the room in that moment. And he's not yet sure what he believes about God himself, but he found it so appealing. James said recently he'd actually been walking through London and got into a part of town where he felt uneasy, he was lost, and then as he was walking, he just saw a sign for the Alpha Course. And even seeing that sign just brought him a moment of calm and and relaxation. And as he reflected on that, he said he thought that's because of the friendship and the welcome that he received in Alpha in, in other places here, it just immediately resonated with him even in that place. We see Jesus' model relationship especially in these small groups with his 12 disciples. But a third way Jesus demonstrated this hallmark of being relational is his matchless teaching on relationships. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You know, I remember growing up, I'm the middle of three boys, and uh, we all get along well now, but there was um, times where we had our fair share of of scuffles and fights along the way. And I can still vividly hear my mum's voice ringing in my ears, saying, boys, would you please learn to treat others like you would want them to treat you? And I remember thinking at the time, mum, You have got a good one there. Where did you come up with that? Only later to realize, of course, that is Jesus' golden rule, straight from Matthew chapter 7. But Jesus didn't only teach these great truths that can transform any relationship. He ultimately gave his life for the sake of them too. You know, from the beginning of the Bible story until now, we see the things that fracture and break relationships between us and God and between us and one another. It's you and it's me. The things that express our selfishness, our pride, our capacity to hurt one another, what the Bible calls sin. And I think it feels, wherever you look in the news at the moment, there are tragic and really devastating examples of this taking a place across cultures and nations. But a talk on being relational will no doubt have the potential to remind us of our own shortcomings in this area too, where we've done things that we know have damaged relationships or been subject to that ourselves. And it's against that backdrop that the purpose and the power of what Jesus did on the cross, it shines so brightly. Because it's there that Jesus gives his life for relationships. And it's through the cross that Jesus makes a way for us to be reconciled firstly to God, but also to one another. It's through the cross that Jesus, he breaks the power and the barrier of sin. And he paves a way for restoration. And it's through the cross that Jesus releases the power of forgiveness the great antidote to hostility and division. And it's why Paul, the apostle, reflects on the cross with these words. For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself 
in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Do you see how many times the word reconciliation is mentioned in that short passage? Jesus embodies relationship. He modeled it, he taught it, and he gave his life for it. That's why it's important enough for it to be one of our hallmarks. But how do we live this out and express being relational more practically? Well, there's so many things I think we could say, but I just want to mention two of them um, that we could think about practically as a community. Firstly, let's pursue relationships with those who are different to us. Over the last few years, we've been on a, a journey as a church around the issues of diversity, and this has been particularly with racial diversity in mind, but it also applies to other areas like our, our age diversity, gender, economic status, educational background, and, and those with additional needs. Jesus gave his life for everyone to establish a church full of all kinds of people, and it really brings him glory when, when people come together who would otherwise be far apart in his name. But for that to happen, we each need to be willing to reach out beyond our relational comfort zone, beyond the people who are most like us, beyond those who have most in common with us. And I know for me there needs to be a, a certain level of intentionality about this, or it just won't happen. And that's why just a little thing, you know, in the Connect area after the service, if I notice someone on their own who doesn't look like me, I've started to try and make it my business to go and speak to them, to approach them, not just being passive, as I might be in sort of by my nature, just sit there and just, or what might happen, but taking that step and going to speak to someone, to get to know them, to welcome them, and I know I should do that more. But of course, this is not just something for when we gather on a Sunday, it's throughout our whole lives and the rest of the week, in our small groups, our activities, in our social lives. I wonder what it could look like for you. Maybe before the year ends, why not make it a goal to spend some intentional time with someone who you know is not like you? Maybe invite them around for dinner or, or go for a coffee or something like that. Let's pursue relationship with those who are different to us. And secondly, let's pursue relationships with those who've offended us. Being part of a church community for, for any length of time is exposing us to the, the strong possibility that, that we'll be offended by, by something or someone, either what they've said or done or, or perhaps what they've not said or done. Now, I'm not saying we need to spend time with people who are actively seeking to hurt us. You know, we need to have wisdom to maintain appropriate boundaries and, and there might be safeguarding considerations for situations like that. But where we find ourselves offended, let's do everything we can not to respond in kind. Let's keep every effort to keep the unity of the bond of peace the Holy Spirit gives us. Let's try and live in harmony with one another. Let's forgive as we've been forgiven by the Lord. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's try and let go of those offenses. For two years, I lived in the Middle East as a missionary. And I was in a team of around 12 people. And I'm quite a harmonious type, and I don't particularly relish conflict or confrontation. But over the first year, I had this kind of feud, really, that developed with one of the team members. And I hadn't really experienced anything like it before. But even though we both loved Jesus and wanted to serve him, we were so, so different that we just kind of clashed in our personalities. In particular, our sense of humor was very different. The way we expressed ourselves was at odds, really. And so there was lots of potential for miscommunication and, and offense. 
And sort of being um, immature as I was, really, I think at the time, I tried to deal with all of this internally. And so I didn't talk to him or anyone else about the way I was feeling, thinking that was like the spiritual thing to do. But really, I think I just wanted to avoid confrontation. And please note, this is not a good idea. <laughs> By the end of the year, it all got too much, and people on the, on the team started to, I think, notice really what was happening as well, that something wasn't right. And looking back, I think easily either of us could have left the team at the end of that first year and not come back for the second year. But thankfully, instead, it, it did lead us to having some crucial conversations, being vulnerable and honest each other, with each other, to acknowledge wrongdoing and really to extend and receive forgiveness. And as I look back, I think this experience was one of the best things that happened to me that whole year. It paved the way for a completely different relationship with this person for the second year, but also it significantly grew my own character and my sense of self-awareness. It showed me also the benefit, the benefit of pursuing relationship with those who have offended us. So let's be people that continue to try and do that with the help of the Holy Spirit wherever we can. So those are two practical things. But as we close today, because small groups are just such an important part of, of us being relational together, I just wanted to take the opportunity to have a little chat with one of our, our small groups. So I'm going to invite um, them to come up. Where are you guys? Uh, Steph, um, come up. Come up. Stefan and Tom and Frank, come up, guys. We'll welcome you to come. Have you got a microphone? Someone got a mic? Oh, thanks. Come up, guys. Well, firstly, um, I don't know if someone's going to share. Could you say a little bit about um, your small group? Come, come up, Steph. Come. Hello. That's on. Great. Share a little bit about your group and, and why you love it so much. Um, hi, I'm Steph. Um, our small group is uh, meets in Borwell, in the north of the city. We're a wide range of people from sort of mid-30s to late 60s, if I'm not offending anyone saying that. <laughs> and uh, single people, married people, people who've been married. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've, we represent four different countries. So we're very, very different to one another. But the one thing that unites us is, of course, our faith and our maturity in years in walking with the Lord, which means we can kind of deal with some much deeper issues <laughs> together and, and disciple sort of, yeah, just rub up against each other and grow. So the thing I, I love about it is just the vast experiences that we have amongst us, the abilities and the skills and the spiritual gifts that we have and that we share. Brilliant. And Frank, we were just chatting in the break about your experience of being part of the group. Could you, yeah, say a little bit about, about that for you? I call it antidote to loneliness. It's a place where the biblical iron, sharpening iron, takes place. Week in, week out, we gather with our problems, challenges, and what I do see is everyone in the group joining in, in prayers, offering words of comfort, and by the time we depart from the meeting, we are so much strengthened and ready to go and confront uh, the world. And we just live together and help each other and support each other. Nobody is ever alone. That's my experience. Wonderful, wonderful. And Tom, you know, people are in all sorts of different social groups, you know, in their lives generally, but what is it about faith and small group that you think 
makes that a different space, perhaps, than other spaces? Yeah, um, I mean, loads of ways, but just briefly, just it, those hearing those encouraging stories that really build your faith. You might have had a really hard week, and then just hearing other people's stories about God being really active and present in people's lives. Um, and also, God, by spirit, is with us when we gather. Um, so he's there when we have the opportunity to you know, pray for each other and offer, you know, share God's love with each other, support each other. Um, so that's like no other <laughs> group. Um, and also that sense that we're seeing something in each other of, of Christ, you know? Mm-hmm. That, like you said, we're made in God's image and we get to be transformed into his likeness by his grace and that we just get glimmers of that. You know, a bit like a lighthouse, you know, with Christ's light, we kind of mirror each other, you know, Christ's light in each other and, you know, and then going out in hope, you know, uh, to the world. Brilliant. Well, thank you for sharing, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, let's thank those guys as they go.